Welcome, birders. This is Ed Pullen, your host on the Bird Banter Podcast, where birders talk birding. I've had one of the longest gaps between episodes since I started the Bird Banner podcast in January of 2019. It's been almost two weeks since the last episode dropped, and I have been pretty occupied since returning from Costa Rica, where I visited uh, my family and birded there. You can check that out in the last episode. But uh, since I got back, I've had two out-of-town adventures. Uh, The most recent was when I went to Sacramento. I drove to Sacramento really not for birding, but to deliver a whole bunch of art. Uh, My family, my uh, wife Kay and I, were collectors, patrons really, of the artists in the Colmar family. Her family has several artists, uh, her brother-in-law and her mom most specifically, and they did prolific art. And we collected that art. And some of it is big pieces of art that I'm moving soon and really just didn't have a good place to put. And so I hope to return some of that art to their family. And Scott, who is one of the sons in the family, Kay's brother uh, and my brother-in-law, agreed to take the art. So I loaded up a U-Haul trailer and drove to the Sacramento area, a two-day trip and hope to get a little birding in while I was gone. So Marion, my girlfriend, was gracious enough to agree to go along and help with a, help keep me awake while I drove down. And so we dashed down to Rockland in the Sacramento area and dropped off with Scott and his family a U-Haul trailer full of art and had a nice visit there. And after visiting, got a little birding in. We left uh, on Sunday early enough to go to the Yellow Bypass uh, Auto Drive at the Wildlife Refuge there and saw some cool birds and then got up to Williams, California for the night. The plan had been to spend two or three days kind of rewarding Marion for keeping me company on the trip with a nice leisurely trip home. We'd stop at a bunch of places. I'd show her some places she had never seen before, but the ugly birder in me came out, the lister, uh, who just was regretting not seeing the common crane in Bow, Washington, that really showed up just about the time I left. So the whole time I'm following this, common cranes being seen every day, 115 birders one day see this common crane. Common crane is a Eurasian species that shows up... uh, nearly annually, likely somewhere in the United States, but really never in Washington and never very close to where I live at all. Uh, And so this was a -a once-in-a-lifetime chance to see this species for me in Washington and maybe ever uh, anywhere. And so Marion was gracious and uh, agreed to give up the uh, leisurely trip home so that I could race to Bow, Washington for this bird. Uh, So we managed to squeeze in a nice visit to the Sacramento Wildlife Refuge on Monday morning, And from there, we pretty much dashed for Washington. We made an overnight stop in Vancouver. I got to visit her brother there, but really race for Bo. And on Tuesday morning, we got to Bo, Washington. And after a little bit of a panic by me at not finding the bird right away, we looked around and got great looks at Common Crane, uh, Washington first species, and a great bird number 400 for my Washington state list. Fabulous bird, also an ABA tick for me, just a great bird. Uh, So we really had a nice time with that. And the other adventure I've had since I got back from Costa Rica was to go to the San Juan Islands. Marion has a brother who is caretaker of the Smuggler's Cove condominiums, and we got to stay in his condo there and visit with some family members, some of her sisters, had a nice visit there. And while she was having a family visit, I escaped to San Juan Island for a day. In looking around the eBird lists on San Juan Island, one name just jumps out at you. Phil Green seems to have been the last eBirder at every big location on San Juan Island. He is the number one eBirder on San Juan Island. He is just all over the place. So I said, I got to look this guy up. He is pretty much all over the place up here. And I did. And eBird has profiles and he has a public profile. So I checked out his eBird profile and saw that he lived on Yellow Island in the San Juan Islands for years as an employee of the Nature Conservancy and the primary Nature Conservancy person on Yellow Island and uh, sounded like a great story. So he also has a a website, a blog, that he did while he was on Yellow Island and has a contact feature on the blog. And so I reached out to him using that. He got right back to me, and we talked a little bit, and he agreed to be my guest on this episode of the Bird Banner Podcast. So help me welcome to the Bird Banner Podcast episode number 99, Phil Green. 
Phil, welcome to the Bird Banner Podcast. Thanks for being my guest today. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, I I birded on San Juan, actually on Orcas Island and San Juan Island a little bit a week or so ago. And every place I went to see what birds that were likely to be found, uh, Phil Green was the last e-birder there. So I said, he must really know this area. So I looked you up and that decided, hey, he sounds pretty interesting guy. This, this whole thing, Nature Conservancy and Yellow Island sounds like a great story to hear. Well, uh, you know, it's uh, part of my history now, but uh, yeah, I'm active, active birder on San Juan Island mostly. I get over to Orcas occasionally, but uh, how I spend my retirement is uh, e-birding, actually. Not a bad way to spend retirement. I spend a lot of my retirement that way, too. Yeah, I'm a firm believer in citizen science, and so, uh, uh, in fact, uh, I, I'm a beta tester for eBird. And, and uh, so I get the email with the developers and whatnot. And at one point, I, they had an article that said that 80, 40% of the world is covered by eBird checklists. Wow. But maybe only 4% of those are statistically significant, mm. you know, of those areas. I mean, they, the have, an, they have enough sightings to make it yeah. a valid uh, sampling. Yeah. Okay, right. Cool. And so, uh, so I emailed him and I said, well, what does it take to be a statistically significant site? And you should put that out there so birders could work towards that. And he got back. And he says, well, that's a great idea. I'll talk it to tell our people about that and have somebody write an article about that. Well, this was two years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I haven't seen any or heard anything since, but uh, I still would like to know that. I would like to know so that, you know, you can have your favorite spot and know that it's really contributing to science and just not sort of anecdotal data. Right. I, I saw that you've been eBirding on your eBird profile since 2005. Yeah, I used to use Avisys, which a lot of my, right. some of my actually still use. And uh-huh. uh, they like, and there's certain things about it that I like and they like that's actually better than eBird. It certainly has better reporting functions and whatnot. And uh, so uh, I, I find that I can access my, my data better on, on that. Although I haven't used Avisys since 2005. But when eBird came up with a way to import from... Uh, you know, other programs like Avis mm-hmm. and, right. and, and other ones, then I think a lot of people switched over at that time. And so that's what got me going on it. Yeah, I, I started more like 2011 or 12. So way, uh-huh. way later than you. And I was still early on eBird yeah. as, as it goes. Yeah. Uh, so I wish I'd been eBirding that whole time. I have to say, I used Avisys also. And before that, I used BirdBrain, a, a Mac computer file, saved all my data from uh, BirdBrain, saved all of that on floppy disks, thinking, boy, they'd be good forever. They're they're on floppy disks, and I uh, have no idea how to get it off floppy disks. (laughs) Go to a museum somewhere, a computer museum. (laughs) Exactly. I I actually, I have an old Mac, and I mail-ordered a floppy disk drive in, and I tried to, and it just, uh, I couldn't make it work. So anyway, it's just a Floppy disk taking up storage space now. But anyway, uh, eBird is super cool. And I'm glad you are such an avid user. It's a great tool. Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, and I, I try to help the uh, eBird checkers uh, because some people don't exactly know how to use eBird. Mm-hmm. In, uh, so, for instance, on San Juan Island or in the San Juans in general, until just recently, uh, the Port of Friday Harbor had the most species listed of any area in the San Juans, which is mm-hmm. ridiculous. Sure. And so people would get off the ferry. What's the first hot spot they see? Port of Friday Harbor. And then they spend the day birding and have this 30 mile checklist with all these birds on it and whatnot. Right. So, so I've been helping go through those. And when I see one that looks suspicious, I'll send it to the eBird checkers. And we've got the total species from 195 down to 181 now. And it probably should be about half of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I have to say, I, I had only been on San Juan Island, I think two or three times in my life, but birding uh, one time many years ago and then the other day. And yep. it is, it's quite different than Orcas. It has much more open, you know, grasslands and prairie-ish sort of uh, terrain. And, you know, whereas Orcas is, you know, seems to me be largely some agricultural land and then forests. So, Right. It is, uh, it's really different. And plus, Orcas has the creeks over in Moran State Park where they get dippers and things like that, right. which, uh, which we don't have. And mm-hmm. certainly they have more elevation with Mount Constitution mm-hmm. and, uh, and even Turtleback, which uh, 
they suspect golden eagles nest up there, but uh, I've been over there many times and not been able to find one. And they used to be common on San Juan back oh. in the 70s. They used to nest here, and I'm not sure if they just got out-competed by the balds or what, but uh, clearly they're not. It's a very rare sighting on San Juan, and I don't even know if there are any e-birds unless they're historical sightings. Uh, right. So, yeah. Well, I was excited to hear about the Bluebird Reintroduction Project on San Juan Island. Are you involved in that at all? Actually, I am, and I have three boxes set up for bluebirds on my property. Oh, very and, nice. Uh, last year, well, I'm, I've just been off yellow almost three years now, but where I'm at now, I've had the boxes up just two years. And and so last year, uh, I had one one bluebird actually build an entire nest in the box and then change uh-huh. its mind. Oh, <laughs> And, I, and one of the other boxes, tree swallows built an entire nest and changed their mind. And in the third box, violet greens nested for the second year in a row. But in the violet green box, the bluebirds at one point decided they wanted that box. And mm-hmm. so there was this war that went on between the bluebirds and the, and the violet greens. And, the, and the, the bluebird actually took the violet green to the ground at one point. Oh, my. Which, which I thought was kind of amazing. And then I was talking to the coordinator for the uh, bluebird project, Kathleen Foley. Mm-hmm. And she said she's seen actually the, the bluebirds take the, the swallows take the bluebirds to the ground. So they must be a privately pretty evenly ma- matched. Yeah. And it just depends on who wants it the most. You're going to have to start making, you'll have to start making book on those, you know, and you can yeah, take yeah. a betting. And- yeah, right. But anyway, the, the, the uh, swallows ended up with a box. So that was the outcome of that. And, okay. uh, and so far this year, I had one swallow that was from the band's, uh, a nestling from last year on a neighboring property. Uh, he came in and stuck his head in all three of my boxes and he, he decided, I haven't seen him since, and this was two weeks ago. So <laughs> decided but, not, uh, must be a better place, huh? Yeah. And, uh, actually in the neighborhood we're at, we've had three different properties right close to each other that have had bluebirds nesting actually four properties and there's no bluebirds in any of them this year. So hmm. they just, I guess like moving around. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like there's a, a lot more boxes than there are bluebirds on the island probably right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's for sure. There are. Um, yeah. yeah. That's what happens early in the process, but it sounds like you're being, I've heard there's been pretty good success on that. And uh, so hopefully you'll have a lot more bluebirds to fill up your boxes in a few years. Yeah. And uh, this year they've been finding, you know, they, they've been banding as many as they can find in the nest and whatnot. And mm-hmm. This year, they're finding some without bands, which means either there's others nesting here that we don't know about or that mm-hmm. they're attracting some other birds when they do the migration to come here, too. So yeah. that's just a great sign. And we're pretty excited about that. Either way would be big success. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Phil, tell me about your time on Yellow Island. I, I looked up Yellow Island is an 11 acre island, uh, I think, between San Juan and Orcas, is it? that uh, has never really been heavily grazed. And so it's retains a lot of, of the native plants. Sounds like a pretty cool place. And you were there forever. Tell me about that. Yeah, so I was uh, actually the Yellow Island steward for the Nature Conservancy is what they call the position from 1999 until uh, June of uh, 2018. So 19 and a half years, roughly. And uh, yeah, so it was pretty much my home, not totally for, you know, there's a misconception that I was there all by myself for 20 years or whatever. <laughs> uh, I was married for part of that. And my wife and I had lived in Mount Vernon. She's still there and we're still friends. And I would, uh, I'd spend five days a week there, roughly speaking. And mm-hmm. then uh, she would come out two days on the weekend, whatever. Mm-hmm. The thing about it was uh, for the first five years, I was first employed by the Nature Conservancy to coordinate bald eagle studies on the Skagit Sock River. Okay. And so I was doing that when the current stewards at Yellow Island announced that they were not going to be back the following year. Mm. And so I applied with 150 other people and and got my foot in the door and um, got the job. And so the rest of that is kind of history as as far as being out there. But in those first, um, until 2005, it was an eight month position. Mm. So I did Eagles in the wintertime from November to through February and then moved out out to the island in March and lived on the island from March until the end of October. Mm-hmm. Well, and, uh, while I was out there, uh, we noticed there was a quite a bit of poaching going on. It's in a marine protected area. Oh. And there's five marine protected areas in the San Juan and there's poaching going on all around the island. And so I documented it. We set up a pro- protocol with the Department of Fish and Wildlife and became kind of their eyes and ears on the water out there. And so 
when I moved out there in 2005 year round for the first time, mm-hmm. the whole purpose of it was to be, I, you know, there's not much going on there. In the Almost a game warden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm a volunteer out of sight game warden. Although, you know, when the, when they were poaching urchins and cucumbers and when you see a net come up and, and then you call it in and report it and you give them the numbers of the boat and they're, you can see when the call comes in and they just look right straight at the cabin because they know where the call came from that reported them and stuff. So it wasn't like we were a secret, Yeah. but the problem in the future became that uh, obviously you live on an Island and you have a boat and if the boat's not there, then there's likely nobody there. And so I would have friends go by and tell me that, Oh, those guys were in there like crazy and blah, blah, blah. I said, well, you can report it through. It doesn't have to be me. Well, they're actually friends of mine or I know them or whatever. So it's a local small community and, you know, people watch out for each other, but they don't like to see. I'm sure you helped. I'm sure you made a difference. Yeah. I mean, we actually prosecuted a few cases successfully. And so that was, that's good. Yeah. So what is what is it? What was the job entail besides being a sort of a person to watch out for poachers? Did you did you <laughs> yeah, was, help with the habitat? Did you have yeah. uh, visitors? What did you do? So it, it actually uh, evolved over the time I was there. When I first went there, we were in the second year of a five year restoration plan to restore store the native prairies on the island. So. The history of the island goes back to Native Americans and Native Americans would harvest uh, camas among other plants on the island. They never actually lived there because it was uh, no fresh water source, but Mm. it was a seasonal place for them to come. And and they would burn the island almost yearly, if not yearly, and that would keep the vegetation down and allow it to stay in a prairie situation. And so in the absence of Native Americans in roughly the last 150 years, the... um, but vegetation was starting to encroach. And, you know, if we let it go another 150 years, it would probably look like any other San Juan Island covered in dug furs and, you know, some kind of understory layer. And so when the Nature Current Survey took, bought the property in 1980, the idea was to keep it in native prairie and see what it would take to restore portions of the island. So there was this five-year restoration plan of clearing away understory and planting in um, native forbs and grasses and whatnot. So um, so that was a lot of my time in the first five years here in collecting seeds on the island, growing plants on the island, coordinating volunteer groups. And we, at the time, uh, Nature Conservancy had what they called the South Sound Prairie Restoration Crew, which traveled around the state to do restoration work. And so they would be up for an, a week in the spring and the fall to uh, help with all the mechanical clearing of the understory and we'd pile it on the beach and have a big fire and whatnot. So, mm-hmm. so as that was going on, which was mainly an early spring, late uh, fall thing when tourist season wasn't going on and when plants weren't actively growing. So in the middle there is visitation season. And, you know, we'd get about average, say, 15, 1600 visitors a year, which doesn't sound like a lot, but we were a 10 acre island and we're all, that's in really a four or five month window. And really out of those four or five months, there's only four months, uh, April and May and July and August that we get large visitation. So unlike the rest of the San Juans, half our visitation occurred before the end of May, <laughs> you know, before even Memorial Day. Was that for and, the wildflowers or for some? Oh, yeah. Reason? Yeah. So the, the flowers are pretty well done by May. So, so, you know, it's like you say, for, uh, for those um, visitation months, you're like officer friendly on the island and, you know, enforcing the rules. We were only open 10 to 4 daily. We didn't allow food on the island, no camping, no fires. You know, we were pretty strict. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the idea was we're, we're a nature preserve. We're not a recreation area. Right. You know, it's not the kind of place we want people to come and start throwing a Frisbee on the beach and tossing a football around, although that would occur sometimes. <laughs> and, and we uh, we are miles south of Jones Island State Park. And so okay. Jones Island is set up for all that. You know, they have picnic tables, they have water, they have outhouse facilities, whatever. And Yellow wasn't providing any of that to the general public. And so um, we encourage people to come and enjoy the island, but, you know, limit your time here. And, and large groups actually had to have a reservation to come. Any group bigger than six was supposed to have a reservation to okay. the island. But we did have large groups. I mean, we'd have groups of 50 people out there. Hmm. And in that case, I would break them up into groups of 10 or so. And 
send them around the island, you know, 10 minutes apart so that they weren't always bumping into each other. Right. So, and, and with the COVID going on right now, they've actually made the trail one way so that people mm-hmm. are not so tending to sure. bump into each other. And they actually closed the island last year and, and didn't have it open to the public. So how do you get to Yellow Island? Is it a, is it a ferry stop or do you have to kayak over? Or? It's on my private boat. And so in the way the statistics showed that in April and May, when the weather is not always so pleasant, it was maybe 80% uh, larger boats and 20% kayak type mm-hmm. boats. Right. And then and that flip-flop in the summer to maybe 20% of the larger boats and then 80% kayakers. Okay. And we were on the route like kayakers that headed out of um, uh, Friday Harbor on overnight trips on their way to Jones would stop mm-hmm. by on their way there. Oh, yeah. And actually it's only about an hour paddle from Deer Harbor. So uh, Shearwater kayaks out of Deer Harbor would lead, you know, just flower walks out there or, or other walks in the summer. And, and in the summer, uh, one of the attractions is we're a seal pupping area. So uh, mm-hmm. we close some of the beaches down because they use it as nursery areas and whatnot. But, uh, but it's certainly an attraction for people to come and see seal pups. So what is your Yellow Island eBird list? So how many birds have you seen on <laughs> Yellow Island? Well, actually, it's pretty amazing. Over, uh, over the almost 20 years, it's, um, it's 155, I think. Oh, my and, goodness. And it's like, it's in the top 10 for hot spots for the San Juans, but wow. that's just because, that's because, and they're all by you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've got Literally. almost, almost 4,000 checklists for Yellow Island because wow. I would, I would do a list almost daily, but that's what generates those beautiful bar charts that people see, you know, oh, yeah. you know, and, and that's, and everywhere I go, I do that because I just love those bar charts and I love to be able to look back and say, when did I see what, what can I expect coming up and what, sure. so uh, as a result, uh, Yellow has about a most complete, list of uh, any area in the San Juans. Well, I'm sure it has the, the most valid data. I mean, a, a single observer birding almost yeah. every day for year after year after year. Uh, yeah. You know, depending on the skill of the observer, it's going to be yeah. pretty darn good data. Yeah. And and I obviously got better over the years. <laughs> I mean, I was a birder before, but I wasn't, you know, I still only consider myself kind of an average Western Washington birder. So uh, if I go down like the top 20 birders in san juan county i'd be mm-hmm. lucky to make the top 10 as far as skill level goes <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like sure. there's people that have way more hearing ability id by call and stuff like that i mean i can do some of that but there's there's people much better at it than i am that live here but they don't tend to be as avid on the e-bird as i am sure how did you get into birding tell me your birding story sounds like you've been birding for a long time yeah but you know i'm, I'm 68 and i've birded probably only half my life or less. Uh, I was uh, living in Mount Vernon and going to Western. And uh, so that's the commute up the freeway. Right. And Kathy, my wife was working at the Whatcom Museum. So we would go up the freeway and it was, uh, I think, 1987 that uh, we noticed all these raptors along the the freeway and got really curious about raptors. And and so uh, Bud Anderson, who had Falcon Research Group, for many years and I think just recently retired from that actually taught uh, Raptor ID classes up and down the West. You know, I, I've taken that Seattle. class. Yeah. Very yeah. good. Yeah. So anyway, uh, we took the class and uh, actually in that first year after that in birding uh, in the Skagit, it's one of the best places to see falcon species. And so you could see all five falcons there um, this one year. And it was kind of the first year that anybody was aware of that. And so Kathy and I actually went out one day and saw all five species in one day. Get a five and, falcon and told, day. Good for you. <laughs> well, we told Bud about it. I said, Bud, we saw five falcons today. He said, what, five falcons? I said, no, the five species. And, and he was all excited about that. And then that became the thing to do. And this, this was prior to cell phones, you know. So people mm-hmm. were going out with CB radios and, and calling each other on the radio. I've got a Merlin over here. I've got a prairie falcon over here and stuff. Mm -hmm. And even with that, I think there was only a half a dozen people that ended up with a five falcon day. So it it wasn't that easy to do. And we actually, I don't know where it is now because it was all on slides, obviously, but uh, we had photo documentation of all of them. So it was like, you know, Bud said, you gotta gotta write that up, but we never did. (laughs) Actually, I I know some people had a six falcon day there, the year the Eurasian uh, Kestrel was there. So yeah. So do you know them personally? I'm sorry? 
Do you know them personally? Uh, I think I do. Yeah. I mean, I, I, to uh, remember that, who they are, that's another issue. But I think uh, I think uh, Ryan Merrill and some of the, oh. the hot King County birders uh, did that. Oh, well, I would trust Ryan, but there was a rumor going around the Skagit that it was suspect. I think the bird was good. Yeah, yeah I think I, it was good. It was accepted by the Rear Birds Committee. So Was it? Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I uh, with all my e-birding, I certainly contact Ryan quite a bit. <laughs> He's yeah. contacting me. What are you talking about, Phil? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, I always love it when he uh, he is the reviewer because you don't just get a the standard, uh, you know, generic uh give me more information this is why we do this he's usually like uh, one time i was birding in the county line ponds going across yeah. highway 20 yeah, and i and i reported a bewix run yeah uh, and i heard a bird sound like a bewix run i put bewix run on my list and i get a i get a nice email back from her. i said i've probably spent 100 hours birding at the county line ponds and i'd never have heard a bewix run are you positive of that id went through three or four other things that could sound like that and i said i'm sure i didn't <laughs> <laughs> yeah well he did the same with me uh, uh last fall i reported a castle's burial out of time frame mm -hmm. out at the, the county park here and uh and I, I, I described the call and stuff, and he, and he got back to me. He says, well, do you know the Hutton's Vireo call? And I said, no. And he says, well, listen to that and see if that's not it. And so so I did, and sure enough, that's what it was. And so, uh, you know, and you're right. He does. He's very helpful, and he, he knows what the options are and what it could be. And yeah. so uh, he's just great like that. And I, It is so fun to have resources like Ryan and, and other people like him. Yeah, Dave Slager is another one that I've actually birded with, and he's he's been really helpful to me with the bird calls. And for a while, he would just let me just send stuff that I didn't because I record, and I would just send him stuff and say, "I have no clues what this is." And he 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 just at the end of the day would send me back a list of five species that I'd sent and said, "Thank you." Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that great? So I you had mentioned earlier that you like recording. How, how do you do recordings, and how did you get uh, interested in that? Tell me the story of that. Well. Because I'm essentially tone deaf, and that's one of the reasons I don't bird by ear very well. <laughs> and people said I sing one note really well. <laughs> so I, uh, I thought recording birds would actually help me with uh, learning the bird songs. And it has to a certain extent, but not to the extent that I would wished it had. So back in uh, 2002 or three, I bought an old, oh, it was new at the time, a Marantz um, mini disc recorder. Mm -hmm. and got a nice Sennheiser mic and, and recorded. And then I never really did anything with it or whatnot. And I was away from it for a bunch of years. Actually, Cornell has been teaching a class down in the Sierras for years, a week-long class on recording bird songs. And and right after I got the Marantz, I, I contacted them because I realized it was late if I could get into the class. And they said, no, they were full for the year. Well, in 2016, for whatever reason, I decided, you know, I'm going to take this up again. And so I did and got a um a nice you know digital type recorder mm -hmm. and contacted cornell again and got into the class and you know got to know some of the really big names and you know greg budnay was uh, the the head of it and he was curator at the macaulay uh, library for like 30 years and mm -hmm. randy little was uh, one of the instructors and i thought he looked like he was my age and he's in his 80s but he 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 was up he was one of the original uh, recorders back in the forties and stuff. And as a, as a, a young man, he uh, got an interest in it and would carry the gear around, which was huge at the time for the people oh, yeah. at the lab. And so he just, he just made a lifetime out of it. He ended up being a bell labs engineer. So he knew sound equipment inside and out. And, uh, and so that was it. And Bill McQuay at uh, NPR, he was one of the instructors and he's mm -hmm. done all the, audio stuff for, for a lot of the audio stuff with the national parks and whatnot. And so, you know, it was just a top level caliber uh, experience. And uh, I've remained in contact with uh, several of these people, Greg in particular. And I, I just, you know, there's just something out there in, in getting a nice recording. And, you know, although the problem with Cornell is they don't want you to edit the recordings. They don't want you to take all that background noise out. Right. Not because because you might be taking out part of the bird song that you're not aware of. Mm -hmm. And, and you send it to the labs pretty much unedited with some minor things they like you to do. 
so when you do that, then, uh, you know, it's, it's not like, oh, well, this is a great recording. But, you, you know, you, you can get some of those great recordings that nothing needs to be done to. When the researchers get it and use it, then, hey, they can edit it if they want. And they, sure. you know, they can do it, anything they want to it. So, and it's been pretty cool because, um, well, like some of my stuff has been used in Birds of the World um, mm -hmm. online stuff. And, Very nice. And there was a um, study done of the white-throated sparrow. And mm -hmm. I actually went back to Acadia and recorded there when they had a project back there to try to get the birds in the park back there. And mm -hmm. white-throated sparrow was one of them. And so uh, actually three out of the four recorders that were at that um, got, uh, got white-throated sparrows included in this study that showed a change of the bird song as it progressed across the country. Very nice. Give listeners uh, some uh, hints about recording. We A lot of us try to get recordings and you know a lot of us just use our phones or other things. So do you have any, you know, in the field user-friendly tips? Give us give us a clue. Okay. Well, actually when I don't have my uh my fancy recording equipment with me, I just use a cell phone too. And I did that yesterday. Uh, I got my first first Casson's Vario of the year and I wanted to document it. And you never know when you go to enter it, if you're going to get the red dot of death that says, <laughs> write this up. This is not supposed to be here. <laughs> so uh, it's much easier to get a recording or a photograph. And so uh, so I just, you know, carrying a cell phone and, and knowing how to use a recorder on it. And it is pretty much just holding it up and getting a recording. If you are already an eBird, it's fairly simple to just attach that to a uh, to a checklist. However, Cornell does like you to do some minor entering. Like they like you to st standardize it to minus three decibels, which is easy to do, and they like a little um, you know fade in and fade out at the end of it. So how I've do you do that? I I've, I just have you, put them up. How do you do those things? Well, you would need a editing software. I use Audacity, which is free. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I to, use that too. Yeah. And so those simple tasks, all you do is go under effects. And when you're under the effects and you um, look fade in, fade out, that's that. And okay. then, uh, and then the, uh, and the first thing on the list is amplify. You just type into minus three decibels and it takes the whole thing. You do that before you do the fade in and fade out. Okay. And then uh, the other thing they like you to do is if you get multiple recordings of the same bird is to merge them into one file. Okay. It, and you can do that on uh, Audacity too. By mm -hmm. you put a, a one second gap, which is just generate silence. Mm -hmm. and you generate a second of silence, and then you attach your second and third or fourth or whatever. So if you've got like a instead of uploading 10, 15 second <laughs> you know that recordings does. of a, uh, you would record just upload just one recording. But mm -hmm. it, they want it to be the same bird too. You right. know, you don't go through and okay, I heard a yellow warbler here, and now I'm half hour later and I heard a yellow warbler and you get recordings of those then yeah they don't uh, want two separate birds no other than that um, I mean if you're really into it you can get recording equipment um, you know uh, portable recorders for you know in the couple hundred dollar range and mm -hmm. microphones in the four or five hundred dollar range they're pretty good and um, and go up from there sure. and so you can it's like anything it's like camera equipment you know you can <laughs> spend spend a few hundred dollars and get the job done or you can spend thousands of dollars and get the job done a little differently. <laughs> sure. Sure. So you're living on the San on, on San Juan Island full time now. Tell me about some of your favorite birding places there. It's a it's a you know not a huge area, but uh where do you like to go? So uh it depends on time of year. You know, in the winter, because you're doing mainly marine birds, I would say. Mm -hmm. I like going to the Watersides Cattle Pass area you know, like that. Uh, San Juan County Park is another good one for water birds on the west side. And those and Jackson Beach is a good one. has a lot of winter ducks in there. Those are three of the winter ones. And some of those I do in the summer, but just not as much. I would say uh, like right now, English Camp um, is one of my favorites. Actually, in the winter, American Camp's a favorite because it has the shorter dowels in there and they're oh. very regular. But, uh, you know, people think of going to the East 90 for the, uh, over in the Samish Flats for, for short-eared owls. But, sure. uh, and, and they certainly have a lot more owls that are a lot closer and regular. But, you know, if you go out and you're patient at American camp, you can see a half a dozen owls and sometimes get fairly close to them. You know, my, the reason I left yellow is I have pretty severe arthritis and my walking is, mm. is somewhat limited. So a lot of my birding is actually from the car and I just photograph from the car too. 
So, uh, but I do walk some. And so like at English camp, there's a mile or two mile walk you can do in, well, you know, it's always frustrating when somebody from out of the area comes in and gets all these birds that you've missed or, or, or just coming in. So two days ago, I was at English camp and I had a nice list of 30 some odd species. And mm-hmm. this morning, mm-hmm. uh, this guy that's been posting all week here uh, had 48 species at uh, English camp and seven warbler species. And, wow. you know, I, I've got three of those so far this year, but the other four I haven't. And, uh, you know, there's some, uh, he probably yeah, has good ears. Yeah, it probably does. But, uh, yeah. you know, it's uh, it's it's fun. You know, and I, I use eBird as a resource like that. So unfortunately, tomorrow morning, it's supposed to be raining about the time that I want to get out there to see if I can pick up on some of those things. Yeah. But uh, but we'll see what the weather's like. And, you know, the birds are still there, whether it's raining or not. But I'll probably go out and pretty soon and, and do that walk again. And then right again. Part of English camp is Young Hill, which is kind of across the street. That's where I picked up the Cassins Vario yesterday. And there's, mm-hmm. you know, chip arrows and all sorts of, well, you know, we had another list, 20 some species there. But in another couple of weeks at the top of Young Hill, um, there'll be Nighthawks. And so that's, oh, that's nice. kind of fun having a place that you can know and go and see and listen to Nighthawks. Yeah, and, they are great. Yeah, I love those. And the, uh, They're not there yet, are they? The, aren't? They're not in yet, are they? Don't they? No, not they, yet. That's yeah, they come usually, I think, first of June down here is more or less when I, I think of that. I think mid-May maybe, but I'd have to check that to be sure. Yeah. Check Ebert. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll check. I'll yeah. Check. Very nice. Have you been over to see the common crane at uh, at Bow yet? Uh, no, and I was going to check. I, I have to go over on Saturday. To oh. <laughs> now, I don't know if it's still there or not. It's been there every day. So yeah. there's a good chance it'll hang out. Yeah, cool. It's pretty did, cool. Uh, last winter, there was a goshawk down on Fry Island and a mountain bluebird that I got to see down there. Mm-hmm. So that was, and we actually had some mountain bluebirds moving through here just a month ago or so. That uh, first there was a male that was just gorgeous, and then mm-hmm. two later, there was two females. So um, they were in American camp also, and Sage um, Phoebe was in. So nice. some of those like things that you know you don't see every year in jackson beach last summer we had an american avocet which was just oh wow (laughs) odd place for one yeah but then i thought oh i got the first record because it's not on ebird and then i told a friend and somebody researched it and sure enough in was newsletter in 1999 somebody had one and wrote it up and you know had pictures and stuff so Mm -hmm. only the second second (laughs) second sightings work they're still pretty exciting still pretty exciting and it's it's cool because we have a group of four or five of us that are on a text and you know in the minute one of us finds something like that we text and they're all over all sure. and so then the word spreads and a lot of people get to see it and last summer we also had a mountain bluebird here and uh let's see and i'm not a mountain bluebird uh black magpie oh and and i think that was the first county record and that was around for a week or so and and you know a lot of people got to see it but it wasn't all that regular you know so it wasn't like you could just say i'm going to go see it and yeah had so, to work for it yeah very nice yeah. so phil yeah. what do you see in your future what what uh, what birding is coming up for you well you know i love it where i'm at so i i don't travel uh, much anymore and mm-hmm. uh you know i like the idea of citizen science i like the idea i i really hope i can get a feel for what it takes to be statistically significant as far as you know and so that I can concentrate on areas and, and see about getting those up to where they would sure. consider and doing stuff like that. I do probably 99% of my birding by myself, which I totally mm-hmm. enjoy, but um, I also don't mind getting out with groups now and then. And so a friend of mine asked me if I would lead a walk at the sculpture park here out by Roach Harbor mm-hmm. once a month. So yeah, I, so I do that once a month, uh, third Wednesday, every month, nine to 11, anybody wants to show up and show up and, uh, and it's, you know, it's not a, what I would call a high level of birding. It's um, people that are interested and just want to know and know what's in their backyard and stuff like that. So, so it's really fun and, you know, nice social get together. We all appreciate the birding ambassadors out there. I mean, it really, yeah, yeah I think birders in, in general are environmentally conscious and are an asset to the world in, in a sort of, in sort of a way. And, yeah. and so and that's one reason I did the podcast. I feel like some, I, a little bit of a contribution to being a birding ambassador. So it yeah, sounds like right. you're doing that in lots of ways. Right. Well, thanks. Yeah. I, 
try to do what I can do. And, and, you know, we all sort of go towards our, what we're interested in and what we feel comfortable with. And, and when uh, I've already pointed out what I consider my ability level, and I don't ever want to sort of get in a position of leading big groups around that where, you know, you get people that are looking for that bird on their life list. And did you hear that? Is that what that is? You know, and I'm, I'm certainly not the person to be doing that. And, and so uh, uh, I just go out and enjoy it and, that's what it's for and keep me sane during COVID and everything else too. <laughs> I mean, it was perfect training for COVID, right? It is. I, I tell people there, I don't think there's a better hobby to have during uh, uh, pandemic time than being a birder. What do we do? We go to places where there's nobody at all alone and look for birds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. And hard yeah, hard to right. be safer than that. Yeah, out in nature, getting that fresh air and, and just enjoying life. So it's great. Yeah. I had a little comment about your, uh, you know, all of us when we lead birding trips have a level of, uh, uh, you know, uh, confidence issues, yeah. you know. Uh, and I have to say that local knowledge is appreciated by birders. I've learned nothing else. I mean, I've had vis- visiting birders to this area from, afar and they're far better birders than I am but a combination of a little local know-how and a talented birder goes a long way so I I now love taking out if I take out a group and there are four birders that are better than I am that's terrific we're going to see more and I know how to get around and show people the areas and they know how to find the birds it's it's I don't think we need to be intimidated by that whatsoever oh oh good that's good to hear (laughs) Yeah. So I, I, I would not uh, I would not let that hold you back from leading trips on, in, in an area you are the local knowledge. So <laughs> hard to beat that. Yeah. Well, I have a, a friend that comes up from Seattle and uh, he's he's a better birder than me, but uh, we're, we're very good friends. And so he's been up here like three weekends. And of course, San Juan's is very under e-birded. You know, oh, you yes. can be a big fish in a small pond here really easy. And I think my friend Peter is like fifth in the county for the year, you know, mm-hmm. for spending three weekends here. And that's sure. it. I mean, there's there's only six e-birders that have more than 100 species for the year. Yeah, I can believe and, that. And if I stopped e-birding right now, and it's not even the end of April with the numbers I have right now, I would still be probably four or five for the year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and it's just uh, last year. I set this goal for myself to see a hundred species in the San Juans every month. Oh, wow. So that was really high pressure, actually, you know, April yeah, and May it, went bad, it, but uh, yeah, but you do know, that it, in like January or December, not so easy. Yeah. And, uh, and so it was like, Hmm, you know, some, some months were nip and tuck, but I did get it done. Uh, but you know, you can imagine those species you see, that you, you you know like a merlin how can you drive sure. where there's no a you just got you just got to be out yeah and unless so, you unless uh, you have a nesting pair you just got to be out yeah and so uh anyway what that did is get me the highest list total for anybody for the san juans for the year mm-hmm. at 197 mm-hmm. and and uh just out distancing a friend alex patia who was got 196 but he was only here for seven months yeah, <laughs> yeah. so anyway alex alex is a really nice guy and a, a fabulous birder very know. good birder yeah and uh so we we would always communicate when he was here about what was where and whatnot and so you know we were good at exchanging information near the end of the year i wish i'd had this as a goal earlier in the year was i wonder if 200 species is possible but by then it was too late, you know, because there were some things in the spring that I just missed that I didn't concentrate on because I wasn't even thinking about that. And so my goal for this year was just to stay even with last year mm-hmm. as far as year. It's not, I'm not worried about the month-to-month stuff. And I already lost my 100, 100 a month streak in February. <laughs> and then I only had 85 in February. And that's my lowest month in a year and a half, probably. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, it was, uh, it was a fun thing to do. But you know, then you start looking at right now. So I'm even with last year and mm-hmm. that sounds good. But the problem is I've already missed some stuff and I've already got stuff that, you know, I didn't get until Later. December. Last year. Yeah. So I've got well, 13 that I didn't get last year. And then uh, that I didn't have at this point last year, but I'm missing 13 species. But you've, had- got, you've got November and December to catch up for those. You know what to chase then. But some of them are like tundra swan, you know, yeah. and how, and, 
and uh, the last year there was a canvas pack that was in. We don't usually get canvas pack, but it was here all mm-hmm. winter. Right. But like that. So there's stuff like that. And then you count things like the magpie that was here and, and the Avocet and, you know, that are one-offs that, and so you just wonder, what are the one-offs going to be this year? You it's know, always, what? yeah, it's always exciting. I was, I've visited Orcas Island when I thought to reach out to you. And while I was there, uh, the second county record for Pierce County of black oyster catchers showed up three miles from my home and <laughs> it, and I, and I didn't get it. It was gone by the time I got back. So it's like, dang. <laughs> here was, uh, the first white pelican sighting here mm. and it, Headed straight over towards Dungeness, where there's been at three crabs, there's been a flock that's hanging out over there. There's also a flock at Crockett Lake, and there's a flock over in the Skagit somewhere. So, so they're all around us, but none had ever been reported from uh, from San Juan County before. So, mm-hmm. uh, I was out on an American camp because a friend had reported a shrike, and oh. and it was out of season. And so Ryan asked him to write it up, and so he wrote it up, and <laughs> Ryan got back to me. Well, how do you know it wasn't a loggerhead shrike? <laughs> because they don't exist here. <laughs> anyway, uh, so so uh, my friend asked me. He says, "Well, keep an eye out for it." So I actually did get a picture of it, and and it wasn't northern shrike. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, you know. So I was out looking for that, and I I was just standing by the car taking a picture of the shrike when this pelican flies over. Nice. So. You know, pure serendipity, you know, it's just like, that's how that stuff happens. It's like, I didn't go scout it out or hear about it and track it down or anything. I just happened to look up at the right time. You know, I always tell people you're more likely to find a good bird when you go birding. Although I've got the two, two firsts at my house uh, for the county. I got lesser goldfinch and red nape sapsucker. I think nice. the first records for the county of both those species and, uh, and the sapsucker stayed long enough for maybe a half a dozen people to get over and see it. And the lesser goldfinch, I think only one other person got to see, but you know, photo documents on both of them. So, uh, Good for you. Good and for since you. been several lesser goldfinches reported in the county, I think so. They're, they are pioneering north everywhere. It, it, yeah. I, think, I think they're going to take them off the uh, uh, no longer get the green dot uh, on eBird <laughs> in Pierce County anymore because uh, they're. They're really moving in here. Yeah, cool. Good. Well, Phil, thank you so much for being my guest on the podcast. One thing I like to do when I have guests is give you a chance to give a shout out to a cause and to let people know how they can reach out to you. Do you have a, uh, I'm, you know, do you have a, a cause that you'd like to make sure people think about? Let's see what cause. Well, I certainly like Cornell and all they're doing at the Macaulay Library and with eBird and whatnot, Merlin Project and, you know, uh, I'm a monthly supporter of, of the labs there. And I think that's something that uh, if you are a birder, that it's mm-hmm. something supporting. If you're just into, uh, you know, nature, then I would certainly give a shout out to the Nature Conservancy and what they're doing. And if you're into the marine environment, uh, there's a local on Orcas organization. It's part of UC Davis called the Sea Doc Society. And uh, they do uh, a lot of uh, their sciences is designed to be science that affects policy. So uh, it's it's really you know, focused in that direction, which is great. And they have a huge educational program. Well, that's terrific. I do a blog post uh, associated with each episode. So I'll make sure in the blog post, I put links to all of those things. So if anyone's interested, they, I mean, most birders are going to know how to get a hold of eBird, uh, Cornell right. Lab. Uh, and the Nature Conservancy is sort of, everybody knows about the Nature Conservancy to some degree or other, I think. Uh, right. but, but the other is a, a little more obscure. Uh, so Phil, if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do that? <laughs> I don't know if I want to give that up. <laughs> okay, that was perfectly fine too. Yeah, I mean, I, like I say, most of my birding is uh, by myself. I lived on an island by myself. And so I'm kind of, you know, I, I, I love bumping into birders in the field. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to say that uh, I, I want to have, I, I don't want to be the shell answer man for the birders up here. You can you get what I know off at eBird. <laughs> you don't want to be deluged. I can appreciate that. It's possible to find you. I managed. If you want it bad enough, you can find him. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's right. great. And that, you know. <laughs> My, my license plate says eBird around it. Oh, so, very nice. So if, they, if they see the car, they'll know. <laughs> it's probably somebody that's going to talk to you. 
Phil Green. If you if you want to find Phil Green, just drive around San Juan Island and look for a car with a license plate eBirder. That's the best way. Yeah. And the uh, other thing is, like last year, um, it was my second year on San Juan, and I started running into birders from out of the area that recognized me. Mm. And and even when they didn't recognize me, it's like you because my name is all over the list. Mm-hmm. I'd be birding at Jackson Beach and somebody come up and say, are you Phil Green? I said, uh, yeah, well, that's nice. <laughs> well, you're all over eBird, you know. And so um, so if you see a guy with a scope out birding on San Juan Island, there's a good chance it's me. And I'm more than willing to talk to you at that stage. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. Phil, thanks so much again for being a guest. I really appreciate it. Uh, you take care now. Bye-bye. Okay. Thanks. You bet. Bye. You may have noticed that towards the end of this episode, Phil talks a lot about how he uses eBird and how eBird challenges him to uh, do his lists and to find species and challenge himself to uh, certain goals for months and years. And I mentioned this not so much to tout how great a birder, uh, lister, and eBirder Phil is on the San Juans, but to go over some of its features. Uh, In just a couple of minutes looking around eBird, I found out that Phil is actually the number one eBirder on the San Juan Island County, San Juan County in Washington with 219 species. I looked on Washington Birder, the other primary public place where people published their lists, and nobody has more than that there. So I think he is the number one birder, lister, on in the San Juan County. Uh, and uh, I also looked at how few birders there are in the county. Phil mentions how thinly birded the San Juans are, and he's right. I've been three days in the San Juan County this year, and I'm the number 14 e-birder in the county. Uh, so uh, that just goes to show how few e-birders are out and about in San Juan County this year, and I suspect almost every year. Uh, so e-bird gives you the opportunity to really check things out. I also looked at Yellow Island on e-bird, and Phil's right. Yellow Island has been extensively e-birded. It has 3,000 842 checklists for on eBird for our Yellow Island. Interestingly, though, Phil submitted 3,757 of those lists. All but 85 of the lists are uh, 97.8% of the eBird lists for the island were submitted by Phil. And his eBird list for that island is 153 species, and there are 155 total seen on the island. So uh, he is definitely the top e-birder. Now, nobody's going to catch Phil on on a Yellow Island. Uh, but anyway, cool information you can find from just perusing e-bird. It's fun to do, uh, and I hope you'll uh, check out e-bird and, and do that too. Uh, so be sure to check out the blog post on birdbanner.com to see more details uh, about Yellow Island, about the San Juan Islands, and my time there. Also, if you get a chance and have the, an inclination, leave me a review and a rating on the Apple Apple Podcast Store or wherever you uh, get your podcast feeds. I really like the feedback, and it's helpful to me. Uh, so thanks for listening, and until next time, good birding, good day. <laughs>